0: Welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our author events at www.skylightbooks.com. At our website, you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. And don't be afraid to follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. All right. So, David Mitchell, uh, we are all really excited about this. We, uh, several people on staff, have read the book. All of us have loved it. We highly recommend it. Get your copies. Um, He's an internationally best-selling two-time Booker Prize finalist, a Time Magazine 100 Most Influential People, and a Granta Best Young British Novelist. His first novel, Ghost Written, was awarded the Mail on Sunday John Llewellyn Reese Prize for Best Book by a Writer Under 35 and a Guardian First Book Award finalist. His second novel, *Number 9 Dream, was a finalist for the Booker Prize and uh, the James Tate Black Memorial Prize. His third novel, Cloud Atlas, uh, was shortlisted for the Booker Prize and the National Book Critic Circle Award and was an international bestseller. His most recent novel before this, Black Swan Green, was long-listed for the Booker Prize and named a time best book of the year. Uh, He lives in Ireland with his wife and children. We are thrilled to have him here. Please help me welcome David Mitchell.
1: Oh, Thank you very, very much. Thanks for that introduction, which I recorded and will play back on bad days. Uh, I can't hear the reference to the time thing just without hearing my, actually my, my wife's and my mother's laughter when they heard that I was one of the most hundred influential people on planet Earth. Uh, they, my wife said, sweetheart, you're not even the most... You aren't even in, in the top four influential people in the house. It, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it, it's her, my daughter, my son, the washing machine. And I come after that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, thank you very much. It, um, people used to say it. it's great to be here. It is, because um, this is sort of like an end of term party for me, because I'm going home tomorrow. And uh, uh, it's um, it's... It's great to do events and to go on a book tour, but um, it's also really nice to go home, as you can imagine. I'm gonna do a reading, I think. I'll just jump straight in and um, interrupt myself as and when. Picking slugs from the cabbages with a pair of chopsticks, Jacob notices a ladybird on his right hand. He makes a bridge for it with his left, which the insect obligingly crosses. Jacob repeats the exercise several times. The ladybird believes, he thinks, she's on a momentous journey, but she's going nowhere. He pictures an endless sequence of bridges between skin-covered islands over voids and wonders if an unseen force is playing the same trick on him until a woman's voice dispels his reverie. Mr. Dazuto Jacob removes his bamboo hat and stands up. Miss ibogawa 's face eclipses the sun. I beg pardon to disturb. Surprise, guilt, nervousness. Jacob feels many things. She notices the ladybird on his thumb. Tentor mushy. In his eagerness to comprehend, he mishears. Obentor mushy. A bentomushi is luncheon box bug. She smiles. This, she indicates, the ladybird is a tentomushi. Tentomushi, he says, and she nods like a pleased teacher. Her deep blue summer kimono and white headscarf lend her a nun's air. They're not alone. The inevitable guard stands by the garden gate. And damn, guard and garden, that clashes, doesn't it? And, and I want to change it, but I can't without. <laughs> Without, without coordinating the biggest product recall since Toyota, and, and Random House won't pay for it, and I can't afford it. So, if any of you read, if any of you have it, then in a kind of Robin Williams Dead Poet Society sort of way, just strike out that first guard and replace it with "They are not alone. The inevitable sentry stands by the garden gate." <laughs> Jacob tries to ignore him. Oh, it's a ladybird in Dutch, a gardener's friend. They're all speaking Dutch, as am I. Isn't fiction wonderful? (laughs) Um, Gardener's friend, because ladybirds eat greenfly. Jacob raises his thumb to his lips and blows. The ladybird flies all of three feet to the scarecrow's face. She adjusts the scarecrow's hat as a wife might. How you call him? Um, It's it's a scarecrow in Dutch to scare crows away, but this one's name is Robespierre. Warehouse Ake is Warehouse Oak. Uh, th- I love this about the Dutch, they name their warehouses, like we name ships, it sort of gives you a bit of an insight to the, the mercantile depths of the Dutch soul, but, uh, but it, al- it allowed them to create this incredible seaborne e- empire uh, in the 17th and 18th century. Uh, incidentally, I didn't say, and if you just walked in off the street, you'd say, what is this guy on about? But, uh, <laughs> we are on a place called Dejima, which is a trading post Uh, A small artificial island, probably eight times the size of this room, uh, connected to Nagasaki Harbour by a a small bridge, probably the length of this room. Uh, It's 1799. The Dutch aren't really allowed off, or or almost never allowed off. This wasn't one of those situations where a trading post quickly turns into a full-blown colony. Japanese weren't going to stand for that. Um, and the only three types of people normally allowed on are merchants to do the business during the trading season when the ship comes from Batavia, modern-day Jakarta. Um, and translators, they were a father to son business, really. Uh, and officially, no one else was supposed to learn Japanese. And 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 oh, uh, the prostitutes, the courtesans, uh, Apparently the most expensive courtesans in Japan, and I couldn't make a cheap joke about the Japanese recognising a captive market when they saw it, but but I won't because um because my wife will find out and kill me. Um, uh, Warehouse Ike is warehouse Oak. Monkey is William Pitt. Why scarecrow is Robespierre? It's because his head falls off when the wind changes. It's a sort of a dark joke. Joke is secret language she friends, inside words. Jacob decides against referring to the fan until she does. It would appear at least that she's not offended or angered. Uh, the fan. Uh, first time, Dejima. Yeah. Um, oh, I learned a new, uh, I learnt a Hollywood term this morning, uh, acute meat. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, you can't do cute meats on Dejima. It's really hard, because every third person's a spite. So the whole point of Dejima was to stop cute meats or ugly meats or any kind of meats uh, that weren't sanctioned by the um, the authorities. And this time, really, Japan was the Tokugawa shogunate, was sort of one of the world's greatest, uh, in a way, the world's first... Very well-functioning, long-lasting totalitarian state. The was designed to preclude coincidences. And mm, try writing a novel set there, you idiot! Why did I do this? I I was, I was just thinking of the yeah, the, the cultural cla- uh, cultural cat flap and East and West and all of these great themes. And then ah, I've stumbled into this sort of anti-plot engine. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so the first time they met, I had to resort to that old, well-known Hollywood trope where a monkey, William Pitt, steals an amputated leg, runs with it into the warehouse where Jacob is working. The woman, who's also, who's actually a midwife, m- medical student, which we'll find out in a minute, but I've just told you, uh, she runs after. Uh, and um, uh, no, actually, that's the first scene. He already knows it by this point. Uh, she she runs after it and for about three minutes they get to talk and that's my first cute meet uh, and i could only kind of think about three and a half others it was murder people you have no idea um anyway 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 uh so uh, f- uh the first cute meet she leaves the fan she leaves kind of one of these uh, unfolding fans he can't get her face out of his mind so he takes it back to his Pokey apartment and draws her face on it, reassembles it, and gives it back. And if you're interested, actually, in the fan, then on page 200 and something, uh, you can see it for yourself. Drawn by my own mum, uh, <laughs> which is pretty kind of spinal tap to get your mum to do the artwork in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't cost me a thing. It was great.
2: Um,
1: uh, so, may I help you, miss? Yes, Dr. Malinus asks, I come and ask you for Rosemellie. He asks, the better I know Malinus, thinks Jacob, the less I understand him. He asks, bid Domberger give you six sprogs of Rosemellie. Uh, sprogs is kind of a British slang, for, or technically Scottish slang, for uh, uh, young boy, a uh, Lad. Uh, a sprog, uh, which makes this quite a witty pun, and in London it brings the house down, but here I've got these (laughs) tombstones, (laughs) so so that's mm, the sprog. Uh. Over here then, in the herb garden, he leads her down the path, unable to think of a single pleasantry that doesn't sound terminally inane. She asks, why Mr. Dazuto worked today as Dejima gardener? Because. Actually, it's because he's lost a gambling debt and with Malinus the doctor and he has to pay it back by digging horse manure into the vegetable garden. Uh, Because the pastor's nephew lies through his teeth, because I I enjoy a garden's company and as a boy, he leavens his lie with some truth, I worked in a relative's orchard. We cultivated the first plum trees ever ever to grow in our village. In village of Domburg, she says, in province of Zeeland, you're most kind to remember jacob breaks off a half dozen young sprigs here you are and for a priceless coin of time their hands are linked by a few inches of fragrant herb witnessed by a dozen blood orange sunflowers i don't want a purchased courtesan he thinks i I wish to earn you thank you she smells the herb rosemary has meaning Jacob blesses his foul-breathed martinet of a Latin master in Middleburg. Its Latin name is Los Malinus. Well, in Los is dew. Would you know the word dew? She frowns and shakes her head a little, and her parasol spins slowly. Dew, dew's the water found early in the morning before the sun burns it away. The midwife understands. Dew, we say asatsu. Jacob knows he shall never forget the word asetsuyu so long as he lives. Well, Ros being Jew and Malinus meaning ocean, Ros Malinus is Jew of the ocean. Old people say that Rosemary thrives, uh, thrives, grows well, only when it can hear the ocean. The story pleases her. Is it true tale? It may be, let time stop, Jacob wishes, it may be prettier than it is true meaning of Malinus is sea, so Dr Malinus is Dr Ocean. You could say so, yes. Does Iba have meaning? Iba is indigo, The pride in her name is plain, and Gawa is river. So you are an indigo river. You sound like a poem, and you, Jacob tells himself, sound like a flirty lecher. <laughs> Rosemary is also a woman's Christian name, I mean a, a given name, so my own given name is it's strange to sound casual, Jacob. She swivels her head to show puzzlement. What is a Jacob? It's the name my parents gave me. Jacob. So my full name is Jacob Dazut. She gives a cautious nod. Jacobu Dazut. I wish she thinks spoken words could be captured and kept in a locket. My pronounce, Miss Ibergauer asks, is, is not very good. No, 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 you're perfect in every way. I mean, I mean your pronounce is perfect. Cricket, scritter and clerk in the gardens, low walls of stones. I like to put these onomatopoeic made-up verbs uh, in the text from time to time just to remind my Dutch translators who's boss. It's a, <laughs> They spend half the morning and <laughs> send me rather perplexed emails. I can't find Scritter Miss <laughs> 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 um, Ibagawa, Jacob swallows What is your given name? She makes him wait. My name from mother and father is Olito The breeze twists a coil of her hair around its finger. She looks down. Doctor is waiting. Thank you for laws, Mary. Jacob says, you're most welcome, and doesn't dare say more. She takes three or four paces and turns back. I forget a thing. She reaches into her sleeve and produces a fruit, the size and hue of an orange, but smooth as hairless skin. From my garden. I bring many to Dr. Malinus, so he asks I take one to Mr. Dazuto. It is kaki. So, in Japanese, a persimmon is a kaki. Kaki. Um, I, I was doing this reading in Amsterdam a few weeks back, and uh, even though the Dutch, of course, as you know, speak brilliant English, um, I wasn't sure if they'd all get a persimmon. So I, I, I asked the audience if anyone could translate, if anyone knew the Dutch for a persimmon, and, and, and the answer came back, khaki. <laughs> so that's sort of what Dejima was. It was this sort of—it um, wasn't just about trade and commerce; it was about ideas, actually, words as well. Kaki, she rests it on the crook of the scarecrow's shoulder. Kaki, Robespierre and I shall eat it later. Thank you. Her wooden slippers crunch the friable earth as she walks along the path. Friable, that is a word, isn't it? You write things and, um,. Apparently, when birds migrate, they, um, their brains actually increase in size to sort of handle the navigational task of migration, and it's a bit like that when you write, just sort of your vocabulary increases, and then you look like, Friable, is uh, that sort of in Biscuity or something? That would make sense, it's obviously nothing to do with frying. I have no idea what the word Friable means, but here it is. <laughs> Um, If there's any fellow word geeks out there in signing, then maybe they can uh, put me straight. Act, implores the ghost of future regret. I shan't give you another chance. Jacob hurries past the tomatoes and catches her up near the gate. Miss Ibergawa? Uh, Miss Ibergawa? Uh, I must ask you to forgive me. She has turned and has one hand on the gate. Why forgive for what I now say? The marigolds are molten. You're beautiful. Her mouth opens and closes. She takes a step back into the wicket gate. It rattles. The guard swings it open. Oh, you damned fool, groans the demon of present regret. What have you done? Crumpling, burning, and freezing, Jacob retreats, but the garden has quadrupled in length, and it may take a wandering Jew's eternity before he reaches the cucumbers, where he kneels behind a screen of dock leaves, where the snail on the pail flexes its stumpy horns, where ants bear patches of rhubarb leaf along the shaft of the hoe and he wishes that the earth might spin backward to the moment when she, f- when she appeared asking for rosemary and he would do it all again and he would do it all differently. Hey, thanks guys, I'll stop there. Thank you very much. Well actually I won't stop there I played a dirty trick on you. Um... <laughs> Uh, between my scenes there's kind of a gap here and uh, I've never worked out, and this is just something I do to say one scene stops, an indeterminate, indeterminate amount of time passes and the next scene starts. And I've never worked out how to, do, how to transmit this in a reading other than using these 15 rather ugly sentences that I've just done. So your round of applause it was actually sort of three, four hours of time just sort of... Before the evening muster, Jacob climbs the watchtower and takes out the persimmon from his jacket pocket. Hollows from the fingers of Ibergawa Olita are indented in her ripe gift, and he places his own fingers there and holds the fruit under his nostrils and inhales its gritty sweetness and rolls its rotundity along his cracked lips. Of course I regret my confession, he thinks, yet what choice did I have? Eclipse is the sun with a persimmon and the planet grows orange like a jack-o'-lantern. My Dutch translators emailed me because they, they had access to the um, online etymological dictionary and they said, ah, but Mr Mitchell, jack-o'-lantern does not appear before 1824. This is 1799. <laughs> right mate, you've got some more onomatopoeic verbs coming your way. Uh, but, uh, It's a thing I've learned with historical fiction. So you, you, the language, language is so hard to get right. Um, if you get it really authentic, uh, and I tried this the first time, I sort of went through Smollett and those, those 18th century mad sods who just wrote these great long novels in earthy 18th uh, century English and, and conscientiously combed through for usages that I don't have, and I um, spent a year and a half, really, writing the first attempt at the manuscript in that language and 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 after a while I thought I'd better show it t- to my wife because um we don't have anything else to talk about really when I'm <laughs> in a book like that and, uh, and, and, and She read a few pages and said I'm sorry, but it reads like Blackadder <laughs> uh, And this kind of taught me that um yeah if you get it right you get it wrong, uh, but of course if you have Jacob saying, <laughs> that's so not what I meant to say, uh, then it sounds like, what's his name from friends, or, or, or something, something much more recent. So you have to sort of concoct a non-existent language called, I think of as, bygoneese. And it sort of, <laughs> it's, it smells historical enough to be to a 21st century ear, or, or, or eyeball I suppose, the eyeball also having a kind of a an eardrum. Uh, and it, uh, but it's modern enough to be readable to a 21st century eyeball, eardrum thingy. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's hard to get right. It's almost finished me off before I finished it. Um, so. Jack-o'-lantern, yeah, I said to my Dutch translator, but prove that no one was saying it on either side of the wall in 1799, eh, eh, eh? and they had to concede the point. <laughs> so, in the court of, sort of historical plausibility, kind of subdivision for novelists, you are, you are innocent until proven guilty. I think. <laughs> There is a dusting around its woody black cap and stem. Lacking a knife or spoon, he takes a nip of waxy skin between his incisors and tears. Juice oozes from the gash. He licks the sweet smears and sucks out a dribbling gobbit of threaded flesh and holds it gently. Gently, against the roof of his mouth, where the pulp disintegrates into fermented jasmine and oily cinnamon and perfumed melon and melted damson, and in his heart he finds ten or fifteen flat stones, brown as Asian eyes, in the same shape. The sun is gone now. Cicadas or cicadas? Which do you say? Cicadas. cicadas. Let's call the whole thing off. Uh, <laughs> Cicadas fall silent. Lilacs and turquoises dim and thin into greys and darker greys. A bat passes within a few feet, chased by its own furry turbulence. There's not the faintest breath of a breeze. Smoke emerges from the galley flue on the ship and sag, which is, it's parked about 200 yards out to sea and sags around the brig's bows. Her gun ports are open and the sound of 10 dozen sailors dining in her belly carries over the water. And like a struck tuning fork, Jacob reverberates with the parts and with the entirety of Olito and with all the herness of her. The promise he gave to his fiancé rubs his conscience like a burr, but she, he thinks uneasily, is so far away in miles and in years, and she gave her consent, or, or she as good as gave her consent, and she'd never know. Oh, those three words, she'd never know. God, the trouble they get, isn't it? and she'd never know. And Jacob's stomach ingests Olito's slithery gift. Creation never ceased on the sixth evening, it occurs to the young man. Creation unfolds around us and despite us and through us at the speed of days and nights, and we like to call it love. Okay, I really have stopped the scene there. I'll just sort of jump to the, just one more scene I want to do because I'm feeling confident. Um... It's occurred to me recently that the, sh- um, the short story is kind of um, as a form is is a pair of cyclists' contour-hugging lycra pants, whereas the novel is sort of a big baggy pair of cargo trousers with big pockets and they have sort of space to put stuff in and uh, uh, it shouldn't put too much in them, but. Um, This next bit is very, very self-indulgent, but uh, novels allow you to do it, and that's one reason I love the form. Uh, This is just a block of text, ladies and gentlemen, ordinary block of text. (laughs) Uh, But when it's read aloud, hopefully it takes on a slightly different uh, form of life. Uh, I should say this is being seen by the most powerful man in Nagasaki, the magistrate. I won't spoil the end for anyone, but uh, he's taken a decision that means he may well be seeing this view for the very last time. Gulls wheel through spokes of sunlight over gracious roofs and dowdy thatch, snatching entrails at the marketplace and escaping over cloistered gardens, spike topped walls, and triple bolted doors. Gulls alight on whitewashed gables, creaking pagodas, and dung ripe stables. They circle over towers and cavernous bells and over hidden squares where urns of urine sit by covered wells, watched by mule drivers and mules and wolf snouted dogs ignored by hunchbacked magas of clogs. They gather speed up the stoned-in Nakashima River and fly beneath the arches of its bridges, glimpsed from kitchen doors, watched by farmers walking high in stony ridges. Gulls fly through clouds of steam from laundries' vats over kites and threading the corpses of cats, over scholars glimpsing truth in fragile patterns, over bathhouse adulterers, heartbroken slatterns, fishwives dismembering lobsters and crabs, their husbands gutting the mackerel on slabs, woodcutters' sons sharpening axes, candle makers rolling waxes, flint eyed officials milking taxes, etoliate lecherers, mottled skinned dyers imprecise soothsayers, unblinking liars, and weavers of mats, and cutters of rushes, and inklit calligraphers dipping their brushes, booksellers ruined by unsold books, Ladies-in-waiting, tasters, dressers, Filching pageboys, runny-nosed cooks, Sunless attic nooks where seamstresses Prick calloused fingers, limping malingers, Swineherds, swindlers, lip-chewed debtors Rich in excuses, herd-it-all creditors Tightening nooses, prisoners Haunted by happier lives And aging rakes by other men's wives, Skeletal tutors goaded to fits And firemen turned looters when occasion permits, Tongue-tied witnesses Purchased judges, mothers-in-law, nurturing briars and grudges. apothecaries is grinding powders with mortars. Palanquins carrying not-yet-wed daughters. Silent nuns. Nine-year-old whores. The once were beautiful gnawed by sores, statues of Jizo anointed with poses, syphilitic sneezing through rotted-off noses, potters, barbers, hawkers of oil, tanners, cutlers, torturers, carters of night soil, gatekeepers, beekeepers, blacksmiths and drapers, perjurers, cut purses, the newborn, the growing, the strong world and pliant, the ailing, the dying, the weak and defiant, and over the roof of a painter withdrawn first from the world and then his family, and down into a masterpiece that has in the end withdrawn from its creator, and around again where their flight began, over the balcony of the room of the last chrysanthemum where a puddle from last night's rain is evaporating, a puddle in which the magistrate observes the blurred reflections of gulls wheeling through spokes of sunlight. This world, he thinks, contains just one masterpiece and that is itself. That's all, guys, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you very much. (sighs) Thank you, this tea is wonderful. It's been stewing for about two hours and it's now reached the consistency of Guinness (laughs) <laughs> and it's, it's, oh, it's great. Uh, I'm really, really happy to take any questions anyone might have, because... i um, Ireland? I'm sorry, sir? Ireland? Ireland. Oh, it's great. When I was, uh, when I was last there, uh, two weeks. Well, it's great, but the country's bankrupt, as you know. Uh, the civil service have just taken a 10% across-the-board pay cut. Uh, many of um, the mums who were doing the school run to my daughter's school two years ago, they're now sort of half out-of-work builders. Um, but, but the country's doing what it needs to do. Uh, people are thinking, how did we get by in the 80s when we had no money anyway the first time around? Uh, they're sharing cars and helping each other out more, and babysitting for each other. and. Uh I think because of all this now, whenever there's a, a dodgy economy under discussion in europe um, the uh, usual question is, well, is this country an island, or is it a Greece, and if it 's an island it'll be okay if it 's a Greece, then it might not be so okay so uh ah, oh, we love it there it 's home and uh and it's good to have found one It works out, it works out really well, yeah yeah. Um, have you an Irish connection yourself, so, or just uh, just curious? <laughs> well, if my name
2: were misspelled,
1: it'd be Cornwall, the Cornwall. So I hope not. Oh it's yeah, yeah. Uh, Why uh, it, so
2: it's
1: um, they don't forget what happened in history, but they do know how to turn a new page and start from here. So you'd be fine. You'd be fine, all right. <laughs> as
2: long as
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, well, uh, any more questions? <laughs> from uh, anyone? Anyway, there's a gentleman here.
2: What piques your interest so that you're going to write a book about it? What is it that triggers something that I'm
0: going to spend three years of my life doing this? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: it was supposed to be three, and I kind of begged, cajoled, and lied another year out of my publishers. Uh, the questions about curiosity and curiosity is one of those it's, it's one of those words like creativity and inspiration i know it's there and there's When St. Augustine was talking about time, he said, I know exactly what time is until someone asks me to explain what it is, and then he doesn't know. And it's like that inspiration, creative curiosity. Uh, I simply don't know. Uh, I've noticed when you try and define these words, you end up resorting to verbs. You say, well, curiosity is the thing that makes you, it's the thing that attracts, it's a thing that switches, it's verbs. All the way, and I think curiosity is one of these nouns. It's really a verb in disguise. And the moment you try and trap it and say, "Okay, explain yourself. Let's X-ray you and pin you down and see how you work. See how you're making these decisions that make you write, That make you sort of bring down this novel from the holding patterns, above, as opposed to that one. Uh, when you try and understand why it does what it does, uh, it, I, I don't know." Uh, Try and guess. Uh, Have have you ever worked out how curiosity works? Have you ever worked out how curiosity makes the decisions it does? Have you? (laughs) Uh, Because if you have, I'd really like to, you could share it with me, I'd love to know, but it would save me all sorts of trouble. But, um, no? (laughs) How does curiosity work? Why does curiosity make the decisions it does? It is a sort of decision-making decision making forum, isn't it? But Ah, how does it work? No, it's Genetics? Environment? Background? I just found Dejima by accident in 1994, no money as usual, backpacking in the west of Japan, trying to find a Chinatown where the lonely planet assured me I could get a cheap lunch. I couldn't read the street sign, so I got off at the wrong place. Dejima. Uh, and, um, just in the middle of all this sort of unplanned modern Japanese urban neon overhead cables uncoordinated landscape which found a couple of really beautiful white pristine warehouses from obviously restored like everything else in Nagasaki from an earlier historical period and, uh, and then I just explored the place um, and found that Japan wasn't actually shut for 250 years uh, it had this little keyhole, This little cat flap. And um, this was before it was published, or before I realized that you have to be disciplined about writing. And um, But I knew I'd want to write about it one day, and then um, 16 years later, here I am. But why? 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 Don't know. Don't know. <laughs> Curiosity, mysterious stuff. Sorry? Karma. 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 Whoa. <laughs> Sasuga Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, I hope it exists, and I hope our souls continue on. I, I'm not sure. Uh, none of us are uh, such an elegant, such an, e- such an elegant idea. It's so deep and just. It's just, but. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so uh, where was I? I think I've, I've s- I sort of answered your questions. I, I actually uh, I answered about five questions you didn't ask, and said <laughs> I don't know to the one you did ask. Uh, but I hope you're not too shortchanged.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: thank you.
2: After
1: a few lifetimes. Okay. Uh, hand here, then hand there. Yes. Um, first of all, I want to say you read that last passage so beautifully. Oh, thank you. And
0: I have
1: something to compare it with because I listened to your book. Oh wow. But I won't go into. Okay. Sure.
0: And um, I started listening. I, I read about your book. I was very anticipating it because I had read Cloud Atlas. Thank you. And um, I got it on T D in the car. Um, enjoying it very much, but I listened to the first six CDs and
1: went, you know, I need to listen to those again. Listen to those again. We're getting
0: too Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm I'm, I'm and, and point, you know, I need to I need to see the word. And I have to tell you that I got the book and picked it up here and there, but what, after I finished listening to the book, I picked it up and started reading it. And the experience was so much richer, so much qualitatively different from listening to it. Mm. And it made me wonder, I mean, do you even think in terms of writing for the eye as opposed to writing for the ear? Because it's very musical. The work is very musical, it's very good for you, but. The depth of it, I have to say, is not justified by just listening to the You have to sit and look at the words on the page, it's
1: a experience. Oh, thank you very much for the kind things you say about my writing there. Uh, I've been thinking about this recently a lot. Um, and I started thinking about it from this question. Uh, maybe and perhaps mean exactly the same thing, of course, but but I do know when I should use maybe in a sentence and I do know when I should use perhaps in a sentence. It's nothing to do do with register, both um, kind of lowish register, non-Eludite educated English speakers use both as do um, Harvard graduates, Uh, so it's nothing to do with that how come, maybe is sometimes the right word, and perhaps is sometimes the right word. Uh, and I started to think it, it, it has to be uh, how it kind of glances off or some gently <laughs> kisses your eyeball, <laughs> um, it has to be. Um, that's Yeah, that's why some sentences are ugly and others not, even when they mean the same thing. They may even have ugly words in them, but they can still be beautiful. They can still have a rightness that an alternative way of saying the same thing hasn't. So, yeah, um, I do think that a word is a musical note with its own timbre and uh, attack and fade, and a sentence is therefore a musical phrase, and um, and a paragraph therefore is something like a song. Uh, for the eyeball yeah a song for the eyeball (laughs) (laughs) or this could just be the fact that novelists are all all of us are jealous of singer-songwriters who can just stand up here and perform and receive the adoration as they're making their art, whereas I just sort of sit in my festering little hut in Ireland with rain coming down and the stove smoking and half-gassing me. And my breath gets monkey and monkey and I'm just working there. And it's years before I meet anyone who says, you know, that's not a bad book. Uh, and uh, there's musicians damn them, <laughs> they get it all at once and when and, and, and they get all the girls when they're younger and so on and then writers just go nah, yeah. so I don't know I, I, I don't know if all this um, a sentence, it's a song I, I, I don't know if it's just me hoping it is but I, I think there's something in it I, I can't think of another explanation for the, the great maybe perhaps dilemma so uh, anyway thank you for your question uh, there's a hand over here, yes sir I have a question about reappearance of characters, in, in particular uh, Eva, the yeah. character who starts in Cloud Atlas and then the in Black Swan Green. Sure. Um, when you decide to do something like that, is it in this particular case, was it
2: because you were haunted by something unresolved in the story of, of Eva as it finished in Cloud Atlas and wanted a place to pick it up or is it really had no place in the Cloud Atlas? Or did you think in Black Swan Green you needed uh, a mentor for the kind of boy to sort of like you know, foster his artistic development and interests, and it
1: just occurred to you this would be a nice person to bring back, how does, mm. how does that process work? Sure, um, yeah, about three reasons, and you touched on two. Uh, did you all hear the question, by the way? Uh, the gentleman was just asking why why these sort of little hyperlinks where one character from one book appears in another as a major or a more minor character. Um, I started off doing it just because I thought, hey, this is cool. This is neat, because <laughs> um, I like it when you know, um, I like it when writers whom I admire do that. Um, then I started thinking, why do I admire it? And this feeds into more why I still do it, and and and, and I'm intent on doing it more in the future. Um, specifically in Eva's case, if you, if you read Cloud Atlas before, and probably that section with the composer in Belgium, is probably about the strongest, I think, in the book. Uh, if you believed in it, and you believed in that world, and believed in her, and believed they were real, which is what fiction is after all, after, then when she appears in another book, uh, she sort of transfers that those that believed in Ness into the, new world that she's in. So she sort of transfers the believed-in-ness of Ziedelheim, the place where she lives in that book, into Black Green, that village. She sort of brings it with her. Um, the evidence is that The Merry Wives of Windsor isn't just this sort of rather light, playful romp uh, with Falstaff in, of course, Um, because Falstaff, he just went through all that heavy, heavy stuff in the history plays, and he's wonderful and melancholic, and he's he's, he's, he's a thousand yards deep as a human being. Uh, And... um, It was actually the Queen, wasn't it, who ordered Shakespeare? sort of Drink him back, William! The the Queen's never done that to me, so... so (laughs) Queen Elizabeth I, obviously, kind of, I don't know, there's something going... um, But it works there, and I think that's why it works there, and that Mary Wives of Windsor... It it, it just has this bittersweetness to it, because you know what happens to Falstaff one day in the future. At least that's how I read it. that's another reason. Um, when I was young and didn't know much about writing, I sort of wanted to sort of write these, I wanted to kind of the world in my net of words, and scoop it all in like one of these illegal drift nets that are busy emptying our oceans as we stand here uh, and then I learned a bit more about writing and sort of, yeah, yeah come on you can't really do American characters, can you not without living there for ten years and you'll always be a microtone out, however well you do it and then I sort of began to think more of in, in, in terms of what's the biggest achievable thing you can write do that and stop there, which worked and was fine, and then I'm sort of, of course, we don't, stay as, we don't stay still as people, and so we don't stay still as writers, or perhaps we shouldn't stay still as writers. And I'm kind of swinging back a little bit now. It's actually now, I, I would rather like to drift net existence the best I can, and uh, <coughs> um, I is better to aim at excellence and fail than aim at mediocrity and succeed, it like said, which is sometimes true. Uh, not in a gunfight, actually. That's, but it's sometimes. Uh, but what's the biggest net I can make? The biggest net I can make is is, is actually the whole of my. Um, <coughs> uh, uh, if all of my novels are kind of chapters in 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 a sort of an uber novel or a hyper novel, then. Um, that's the biggest net I can make, uh, and I'll I intend to carry on making that net till I keel over. <laughs> so wish me luck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry to bad on the names, but wouldn't it be the brokerage your character?
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: you're uh, close. Uh, Frobisher, uh, no, uh, the guy in Hong Kong was called um, Neil Brose. Yeah, and and he, he's in Black Song Green. Yes, yeah, 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 sure. Uh, he's a boy in Black Song Green. He's one of Jason's no, classmates. No,
2: no, 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 we're talking about
1: that to
0: Cloud Atlas. OK. Yeah, yeah. you know Cavendish, my book. Oh, yeah, yeah, OK. Um,
1: so uh, <coughs> yet again, we have another character. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a number of them. They fit the bill. Uh, in the new one, if you can find them, there's about five. Um, so good, happy hunting. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, there's a there's a hand over here. Uh, a, a gentleman at the back, then gentleman at the front. Gentleman at the back. What What artists are Then you just change from
2: book
1: if You are. Visual artist that I'm. Con- yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um no for sure. Um I do it's good to expose yourself to artistic influences. Uh when you're working, I think writing is partly about uh, often the best things are the accidental. Uh, actually the happy accidents. Uh and some writers have different, uh, have a different approach, and sort of rather work in an oxygen tent to, and, and keep the outside world out because it interferes me. I kind of like to keep a window open through which the blue bir- through which the bluebird of the happy accident can enter <laughs> sail and it might be a line from Kate Bush or it might be a Howard Hodgkin painting, it's just got something with greens and oranges going on, and they sing uh, when they're next to each other. Uh, Or it might be film, or it might be something quite direct, or it might be something I take and mutate, and uh, uh, I need it, sort of, if it doesn't sound too flaky, uh, I need other people to to flow through me uh, when I'm working, and uh, it's helpful for me.
2: You have
1: the writers thematically, probably not, but in terms of quality, uh, I keep watching The Wire uh, once a fortnight or so, one episode, just to remind me how high the bar should be. <laughs> this is what dialogue should be. This is how kind of uh, hidden cathedral architecture should be uh, so uh, for me at the moment he's the man really uh, but thanks for your question uh, there's a gentleman here oh,
0: yeah. Could you talk about your, your approach structurally to this book versus the others I know you talk about self-imposed sort of structural uh, confines in your
1: writing. Yeah uh, the structure um, Cloud Atlas started with the structure so sort of that was the first um, I started thinking about a composition in a fairly ridiculous metaphor that you may be too young to get, but when I was your age, young man, <laughs> uh, in amusement arcades, and the older members of the audience or, or, or the less young members of the audience uh, used to get these sort of large glassed-in tables with uh, that represented a racetrack and five little plastic horses that kind of run and six people put a coin in and then when there's enough players the horses start racing and some sort of lurch ahead and then one streaks off but the other's a catch up and it kind of goes around 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 um, for me uh, those five horses, are, where am I going with this uh, <laughs> the five horses are plot character theme slash ideas structure uh, and style and uh, you're working and you, think, and you start thinking about one particular character, and so, that, so the a, a character horse kind of streaks ahead. But then this sort of, oh, whoa, whoa, okay, if that if that person is that person, then he'll probably do this in a situation. So that's the plot, and the plot catches up, and then by this point, your original structure's all sort of wonked out, uh, and which would confuse my Dutch translators, and, uh, <laughs> and 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 so you've got to let the structure horse catch up, and um, it kind of goes like this, and of course, unlike the game, all five have to cross the finishing line at the same point. <laughs> uh, different books are different races and different sort of mm, yeah, they're different races. I don't need to say anymore. say um, any This one, it was different when I started and I lost 18 months trying to write a book with the wrong structure. But that's okay. Uh, novels are palimpsests. You know that word? Uh, <laughs> uh, medieval Manuscript, Vellum was really expensive, so they'd write something, and then when it became no good, they'd write something and go, they'd scribble out, but uh, if you X-ray them now, you can see earlier takes underneath. And a finished novel is that. It's where you've gone wrong, fixed it. But where one idea from going wrong was actually quite good, so you've got to keep that, and, and, and <laughs> Uh, the novel's are a little bit more complex uh the structure's a bit more complex and appears it's three parts three main acts each act thirteen chapters long act one is narrated, it's in the third person but uh, there's a sort of um but it's a sort of it's a narrative helmet which sits on one head with a Camera filming the action, but with a spike going into the brain, where it, so you can get that character's thoughts, but no one else's thoughts. So that's sort of a narrative helmet. Uh, <laughs> the first chapter of each act, it's a separate narrative head to everyone. To that head just appears once in that act, and that's the first chapter. Then, in first act, it sits on Jacob's head for the whole act. So at two, there's two narrative heads. It sits on uh, Olito's head and Ogawa, the translator's head. Then act three sits on three heads. So you've got one, two, three, it's uh, Jacob's head, the magistrate's head, and the British sea captain guy's head. Uh, So it kind of goes from a one-stroke engine to a two-stroke engine, and then a three-stroke engine. Hope is that this sort of gives it an acceleration that it wouldn't otherwise have. Um, not for me. That's a great sound. That's very sort of Brianino, isn't it? <laughs> uh, um, my hope is that it um, mm, uh, that it sort of speeds you through uh, faster and faster towards the end, like nearing the edge of a waterfall. Accelerate. Thank you for your question. You're very welcome. Uh I will do one more. Umy meeny
2: um, money catch a by the the lady here I just wanna ask uh um, you know, you, you said you lost eighteen months due to the structural issue. Mm. Um minute by minute,
1: hour by hour, like how often, how much do you li- how
2: often do you like for writing and how
0: much often
1: do you read it? Oh, oh! that's a great question that a journalist never, never asks, so thank you. Uh, of course, you, no, it's, um, uh, the tragic comedy of the human heart is that you love and hate the same thing at the same time, don't you? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> uh, it's uh, people and places, uh, and, um, yeah, so it goes. Uh, of course, if you didn't care about it deeply, you wouldn't love it. Uh, and it wouldn't have the power to drive you totally bonkers. When it, um, yeah, um, no, I, I love my work. Um, I, I, I get impatient when writers start talking about my vocation, because it's just writing sentences and words and a nice little, boom, and then get a few sentences Four goes well, you get a number of perfect, seaworthy, polished, dovetailing sentences and make a a, a paragraph out of them. Uh, On a really good day, you can get three or four paragraphs and and just get a scene, a whole scene, that there's nothing wrong with. And, oh, that's better than Nobel's and the famous British Book Award that begins with B that I'm superstitious about saying, so I won't... uh, (laughs) It's worth more than any of that. It's really great. Uh, True masters can keep that going for a whole novella. Uh, The Chekhov's The Jewel, Turn of the Screw, Heart of Darkness. Youth, I think, as well, by Joseph Conrad. Uh, I think he pulled it off twice. Uh, The perfect novel never gets written. And that's fine, because they're baggy cargo pants. but uh but yeah yeah oh just wonderful it's wonderful 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 job uh if it's your vocation <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah there's nothing like it um you know just what a privilege no, there's, um, if writers start moaning on book tours they just punch their lights out because I get to sort of uh, create yeah, worlds that are not and people who are not in my head and do these little squiggly things on paper uh, they kind of get transmitted and happen in other people's heads and what an honour that is and what a privilege that is And uh, so thank you for reading my stuff and uh, thank you for asking your question thank you all for being here I think yeah. on that
2: been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Ashley and Arlo. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, or at the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.